0: A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast is now live.
1: Hello and welcome to A Rich Tradition College Football Podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltenpol, two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, we're here on the 17th of June. How are you, my friend?
0: Okay. At this uh, sorry. At this very moment, <laughs> physically, I'm exhausted. Okay. Have, have, have had a very busy week, as you know, um, from Saturday to today has has been very very busy, uh, because of good things. My son's birthday party. My, my me and my wife's ninth year anniversary, and then today, um, my son's uh, three year birthday, where we took him to the Atlanta Zoo. Um. But mentally and emotionally, I am sky high, buddy because Mm. I'm going to get what I want with this playoff in a couple of years. I'm going to get what I want when it comes to, it sounds like I'm going to get what I want with divisions being rid, getting, they're going to get rid of divisions. But most importantly, you and I got to see, got to see an Atlanta team make another team become an Atlanta team.
1: (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. And I'm glad we're tipping our cap here to start off with, uh, uh, all hail the Atlanta Hawks and the Trey Air.
0: I hate the name Ice Trey. I hate it so much. But oh, I, Trey, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> but Trey Young has has won won the hearts of has have won the hearts of fans and critics alike in the, in this playoff uh, in, the, in these playoffs and it was it was just awesome to see uh, an Atlanta-based team make a comeback and not be the victims of a comeback.
1: I agree 100%. All right, so back to college football, or we'll get started with college football. Two news newsy-type items to get to. Let's go. You want to start with Arizona State? Yes. Let's start with Arizona State. Let's get the bad stuff out of the way. Did you read this that whole article? Ex- I did. This is extremely disappointing. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things to get to, but I I was unsure of Herm Edwards to begin with, and then I started to come around to it, especially once it started to work. It was kind of cool. It was— it was different. Him and Mac Brown were older coaches who were supposed to be, you know, um, archaic, and here they are winning, and oh my gosh, and sure, it wasn't happening at Arizona State quite like it's happening at, excuse me, North Carolina, but you still felt good that, hey, here's these two guys older, and they're doing something big, so when this news came down and to see how bad it is, just how bad it is, and how much, I mean, Pete Thamel said it, Herm Edwards is asleep at the top, and it's really... Antonio Pierce's team and as the assistant coach and it's just I mean I was really disappointed we, we both have been fans of Arizona State and so um, first and foremost I was disappointed that Herm's kind of falling to the wayside here
0: I was beyond surprised to find out that Herm Edwards would allow himself to be put off as this like you know an old an old emperor who no longer has the say but you know the right-hand man is the one who's controlling things you know, um, I am not defending Herm Edwards in any way, by the way.
1: Oh, no. The, and the, when you this, read the article, there yeah, is no
0: defending him. Yeah, there there is no defend, defending him whatsoever. I'm just speaking of if you look at if you, if you look at Lord of the Rings and when King Theoden is. Really?
1: <laughs> Go well, you, you're going to do that? Go ahead. It's, I'm be, just, it's, it's something it, it's,
0: that I feel like we are on the same page. Go ahead. OK, just, you know, you, you've you got you got Gandalf, you've got Legolas, Gimli and Aragorn all traveling to see King Theoden and Rohan, and you think you see him there, and the, the the land has become barren. The people are unhappy. There's all these. There's all this evil and bad stuff going on, and it's because King Theoden has allowed himself to go blind to what's going on around him. And I just, I that's the that's the direct correlation that I thought of when I was reading the article. Um, it was very just, It was very hard for me to to get to this point because it made me lose so much respect for him. Now, I, I however, I am not shocked to find out that it's Antonio Pierce who's doing it because if you hear if you go read stories of local uh, of local reports of how he was as a high school coach kind of doing some things that were shady i am not surprised to find out that he has been doing doing some shady stuff behind closed doors with the recruiting and how he's been getting these you know getting these top tier players all that said this really put a damper on me because I, you know this i am very high on Arizona state this season specifically jaden daniels And there are people talking about that this staff. There's no way this staff keeps their job.
1: No, I I think when you read through the article, you can you can understand why that would be the case. I mean, and before we get too much further, let me read real quick just a couple of lines here uh, just to catch anybody up who doesn't know. Within the last month, this is from Pete Thamel. You can go to Yahoo Sports and find it. An anonymous person sent a dossier of uh, dozens of pages to the Arizona State Athletic Department. It included screenshots, receipts, pictures, and emails related to numerous potential violations within Arizona State's football program, according to sources. The NCAA enforcement staff is in possession of those documents, sources told Yahoo Sports. Among the enforcement staff members working on the case is Vic Denardi, an assistant director of enforcement, and the arrival of those documents to Arizona State Compliance Chief Steve Webb uh, has ASU officials conducting internal interviews as to what all took place. Rob, the things that I have written down sort of start with cultural disaster, which I think we've already touched on. Herm's asleep, uh, sort of at the top, although he's still kind of active because he's a part of these sort of things that are going on. Antonio Pierce, as you mentioned, is sort of in control. He's uh, rounding up cronies, if you will, and he has uh, he's bullying as he's rounding up cronies to recruit the way he wants to recruit. They're they're doing a lot of shady things with recruiting, but what's really got people upset is that those shady recruiting things include breaking COVID-19 protocols and having official visits during the dead period. And people are hot fire. David Shaw is mad. Obviously, the other people who are handing out these uh, all of these receipts and such are mad, the not uni- uh, the unanimous unanimous, but the anonymous people are, uh, are hot fire mad as well because it's believed that whoever sent these are former staff members who have been bullied out of the program by uh, Antonio Pierce. So David Shaw other high ranking members are not happy with the breaking of the COVID-19 protocols from a not only a safety standpoint but a advantage standpoint as well.
0: 100%. this, this is I don't care how you feel about COVID and everything that went down last year. For at least those first couple of months, things needed to be shut down so we could figure out what the crap every you know what the crap was going on, and the NCAA chose to make a decision to keep thing you know to, to slow things down and shut down you know uh, make create dead period right.
1: Uh, correct. Um, yep.
0: And so it, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The rules were in place. Other schools, so you know, for, for, until we hear otherwise, all these other schools were not having kids on campus. Were not um allowing themselves to be, you know, possibly a cesspool of COVID spread. And when you take it upon yourself to do otherwise and to recruit and to go through all this stuff, you are ha- you have a distinct advantage over everyone else around you in your obviously in your conference. And I again, it just caught me off guard to to you know, the character that we've always been told and heard about with Herm Edwards For him to, and and as the report said, he was hosting kids, too, for visits. Like, he was there for the visits. In his office, yes. In his office. He is not, he he in no way, shape, or form is, like, blind to any of this.
1: Uh, Yahoo Sports interviewed more than a dozen current or former ASU staff members this week. Multiple sources indicated that at least 30 players visited campus over the span of months, a practice so common coaches referenced quote official visit weekends in staff meetings coaches dumped uh, into recruits and uh, bumped into recruits and families in the back stairwell and then routine a routine uh, developed of faculty tours being given around 9 p.m 10 p.m uh, at night so this is how they were sneaking around doing all these things they knew they were doing it wrong the article goes on and on and on um but Uh, Pretty disappointing stuff there from from Arizona State. All right, so bad news kind of out of the way. A little bit of good news when it comes to the playoff.
0: Let's go. Uh,
1: We've hinted at those who cover college football are sort of responsible or could be responsible for some of the, you know, everything's only about the playoff. And now you have an article on The Athletic from Nicole Auerbach who is – Verbatim, almost getting that, having that conversation with people at College Game Day for ESPN. Now, Game Day itself, I've always thought, did a really good job of highlighting other things. But once you read through the article, you find out that probably half of their show, 45 minutes of their show, is dedicated to the playoff. And I'm guesstimating another 45 minutes around about that is dedicated to advertising. And so that's 90 minutes of a three hour show is advertising and or the playoff. That leaves you another 90 minutes to talk about the rest of college football. And while that's a nice portion of time, uh, you're starting to, this conversation is about ESPN kind of noting that, Hey, we might want to pull it back to a 55 45 split instead of the 70 30 split that it sits at now, because maybe they're taking some responsibility for, how the college football world gets framed because they're the ones you know setting up the camera
0: you and I have talked about this we talked about it last year Josh pate so eloquently talked about this last off this past off season or I'm sorry during the season every single broadcast on ESPN or through ESPN network has some reference to the playoff even if it's freaking Matt Tuesday night and we're watching Toledo play I don't know western Kentucky.
1: They'll spend the entire third
0: quarter. Yeah, they'll spend the whole third quarter talking about this. And I'm, I'm, I'm fine with you mentioning it, but like having in-depth conversations about other teams that have nothing to do with the two teams that are playing currently is so disrespectful to the sport. And it's so disrespectful to what college football is supposed to be about. And so I'm glad that finally someone you know within that realm is, I guess, taking notice or listening maybe. Because this, like, it has just been so annoying. It's been so frustrating. It's
1: not been healthy for college football to have, to have fans believe that everything needs to have playoff implications. And that's kind of been the framing of the, of the conversation, that they talk about the playoff, which means they are only talking about seven or so teams, seven, eight, nine, ten teams, and you're leaving a lot of other people out. You're leaving a lot of other things out. I, I always have brought up sort of the egg bowl. Mississippi doesn't need the rest of the country to care about the egg bowl. Mississippi's gonna tune in no matter what the two teams look like, especially now with the two coaches who they are. They're definitely gonna tune in to see what all is going on. The rest of the SEC might do it too, but the whole country might not. And the egg bowl doesn't necessarily need everybody to tune in, but it is in terms of their care of you know, their value in the ball game. But it is cool to turn on ESPN. I would think if you're in Washington or you're somewhere else and maybe you're maybe it is in Washington and you feel a certain way about the Apple Cup and then you read and hear about the Egg Bowl and you kind of think, oh, well, that something similar there. I can relate something there. We had this here. It's connecting college football together in a way by telling, you know, other people about other people's traditions and other people's other fan bases, traditions and rivalries and different things like that. I, I would tune in for that. I would tune in for more of that stuff. I'd always get conflicted when I hear people talk about like, well, we're only talking about what you tune in to hear about. I want there to be a better balance of, yeah, I want you to talk about last night's championship game or last night's game that I want you to talk about what's relevant. But at the same time, I want you to spend some, some of your program telling me about things that I'm not going to know about. Sure. I know about the playoff game from last night, but tell me about something that I might not be as, as in tuned to, that maybe I could go look up more about or whatever it is give me the information while at the same time balancing talking about the the big important stuff
0: the cool thing has was listening to but Elliott talk about this earlier this week where yep. and he he said it best instead of instead of them just spending you know the the whole college game day talking about you know 10 or 11 teams which seems to be the same 10 11 teams every week what if they upped it up to, you know to about 25 to 30 teams? Like that would help immensely. Like, sure. no, you you can't cover all 130 teams in the three no, hours not. that you have every week. You know, like I'm not I'm not absurd. Would I like to hear it? Sure, <laughs> but, but I'm I'm weird. But but for the general like population, like if I'm a Washington State fan, except for to see that purple flag hanging up every week, I have no reason to watch College Game Day because I know sure as heck they're not mentioning me unless I'm playing against Oregon or USC. I want to be in
1: tuned to more stuff going on. And I want to see it on college game day. I want to see what they feature. I might already know something, but I'd love to see whatever it is that they have to bring to the table, whatever uh, nuance they bring uh, to the conversation about whatever it is on the other side of the country. So I'm excited that ESPN is seeing that they're sort of playing a role here and maybe sort of trying to uh, subtly change some of their programming for the folks that are watching day in and uh, day out. Yeah. All right. One last note and because I think this is something we both wanted to get to, no more divisions in college football is a conversation that's being had. We both agree that that's a good thing. Yep. To no longer have divisions and sort of go with a pod scheduling, and uh, divisions were fine for a while, but you can still do your conference championship game and sort of determine your two players in that game uh, in sort of a different way that makes sense to avoid having a potential – Seven and five Pittsburgh upset Clemson in the ACC championship game in 2018, and thus, in this 12 team format, thus have your ACC champion not playing and the ACC losing sort of an opportunity to have a um, have another bid or have another representative in the ball game, um, while at the same time they're champions you know in the Boca Raton Bowl or whatever.
0: I think this makes the season matter even more, the the whole getting rid of divisions thing makes me happy. Um, I've thought for a long, long time that they should, if you really want a conference championship, it shouldn't be between two teams. Like honestly, at times it feels like it's kind of arbitrary. One of the teams is not one of the top two or even four best teams in the conference. Um, Because, you know, just the way it lays out that year, it's on one side of the, it's one side of the conference. Uh, This allows for the two true two best teams of the conference to play each other for the, for the championship. Um,
1: so ACC, one big question. Let's start at the start, and then we'll take it away. We'll just kind of – if you have your Athlon magazine, and you want to flip right along with us, you're more than wel- uh, welcome to do that. That's sort of our guide for uh, this discussion. So we'll start in uh, – we'll start with BC. They're in what is this – the what division is this that we're on with BC – Is that the coastal or is that yeah? That is the Atlantic Division. I always do this with the ACC. I can't ever get it right. All right, so BC the Eagles. Athlon has them projected seven and five on the year. Um, How do you feel? Do you want to start or do you want me to start?
0: Um, I actually I did not call you a couple weeks ago when these magazines dropped. You did. You did. Now that you mention it, you did. <laughs> and I told you. What did I tell you on the phone? Who was I bullish on?
1: You were bullish on Boston College.
0: Okay. Yes, I'm bu- 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 bullish. That's a weird word, bullish. All right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fall down that hole. All right. Um, Boston College is returning this year. Phil Jerkovic. Jer- Jerkovic. Um, they have made a grand transition in a very short time as far as their offensive philosophy. My question this year is in an ACC where they are returning eighteen different starters, nine on offense, including their quarterback, their best pass catchers, etc. Can Boston College be a legitimate threat to Clemson and North Carolina this season?
1: I'm I'm gonna say with the defense the way that it's sort of tracked backwards, I would say no. Yeah. But, but, there's, but always, there's always a chance to prove that wrong. There's, there's yeah. obviously nine returning starters there uh, as well. Um, they didn't play super well last year. I know the depth chart on uh, for uh, Athlon's a little mixed up with some of the uh, how the two deep is, is uh, worked out, but I would imagine the answer to that would be no. I think another year or two there away, but Phil Dracovic is obviously a big step in the right direction throwing the football is a big step in the right direction
0: yeah um and also i think with having one of the best offensive lines in the country returning this year too helps him immensely and that's what i was going to say about the defense you are absolutely right but as we've learned you know over the last couple years your defense does not have to be great anymore it just has to be good enough right
1: no that's true and
0: and so just my question is can they be a threat to North Carolina and Clemson this year, I think they do not play North Carolina, but they do play Clemson. Um, like, I, I, I guess, you know, we don't have to be specific about Clemson and North Carolina, but just can they be a threat to the top of the conference? So that's, that's where, where my head's at.
1: I just want to know where the run game is. BC has been such a run-dominating team, and obviously yeah. I don't need for them to go back to the A.J. Dillon days, but just over 100 yards, 102, to be exact, 118th nationally. Uh, Nobody averaged more than four yards a carry last year, and the guy that did average over four yards a carry last year is gone. So I'm just sort of interested what happened to the ground game, and if they're going to make a push against the rest of the division or the rest of the conference, you you would think some sort of run game would be needed knowing the firepower that's in the backfield for both Clemson and North Carolina. I you would, mentioned the offensive line is returning, yeah, if those guys can improve on their uh their run blocking, I think they protected the passer fairly well. if they can continue to improve on run blocking, then you know who's to say it's it, it can't happen they've got experience there, so uh the, did, the did pieces Alex, are there.
0: Did Alex Sinkfield sit out last year uh, that's, uh, he's
1: important. a west virginia transfer
0: uh well that that's why that's why I couldn't find anything on him
1: okay um you have to flip over to West Virginia's page <laughs>
0: okay um. Okay. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, so let's
1: go get? to let's yeah. go to one of those uh, next superstar teams that at that are at the top. Uh, Clemson. I sort of have a similar question to Clemson that I did for Boston College. Can the offensive line return to form? Usually, Clemson's got a pretty good offensive line. These last couple of years, maybe not so much, particularly in the run game. There were lots of Travis Etienne stats that went along the lines of his average yard per carry before contact has gone significantly down over the last few years. And if that's sort of the the linchpin that has been the difference for Clemson and competing there at the end of the year, well, then I guess the biggest question for them is, can the offensive line return to form?
0: That's a really good question because, like, they weren't very good last year. And they just kind of got... I don't By the say, elite standards, they weren't. Yes, right? 100%. And, and just you look at their schedule, they didn't really play anyone with even a, a good defensive line except for Boston College and Notre Dame. And those were their closest regular season games. One was a loss. And I remember that game too. Notre Dame's defensive line destroyed their O line in that game. You know, it, it was DJ but just being, being a <laughs> demigod that helped them you know when that you know they kept that game close my question is this will the fact that they're returning everyone on defense even matter when last year's defense wasn't very good
1: yeah so this goes back to the you know you have to be careful with the returning starters because well what if the returning starters didn't play super great last year i think bill conley has a, a proje- an smp projection for returning production that sort of addresses this that would be a way to go and look at that and kind of see just how well everybody played, even though the numbers weren't maybe traditionally what you would look at a Clemson numbers to be. They weren't awful in terms of total defense, but maybe some of those other advanced metrics, uh, you know, would would hint differently. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's a team. That's an issue that a lot of fan bases are going to have. And maybe anybody should have thumbing through, you know, your prediction magazines for, you know, returning starters.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's Clemson. I, in no way, shape, or form, will ever bash Clemson, you know, because of what they are and what they have been and what they'll probably continue to be. But I, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm incredibly high or guaranteeing the ACC this year, especially like if they if they do go toe to toe with, you know, with the, the North Carolina. Um, I don't know. That's, that's just
1: you.
0: Yeah. Um, FSU, no, 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 you're, you're fine. I don't know why you you did that, but that's okay. Um, you know, I've never done that to you.
1: I didn't mean to cut you off. Please finish your, finish your point for the tigers. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's fine. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just a dumb monkey to you. Um, (laughs) no, uh, no, you're, you're right. We're trying to keep pace here. Um, all right. For Florida state, it's as simple as this. Can they matter? And I, what I mean by matter is I'm not talking about the team they're playing that week. I'm talking about can they matter in the national stage? They don't have to be in the playoff hunt. They don't have to even be for the ACC hunt. But can they matter? Because
1: I so what does that look like if they're not in those hunts? What does mattering look like? Um, eight and four, nine
0: and three. Can they they're sort of sniffing those hunts? Yeah. Can can they like be a threat? Can they can they be a threat to everyone they play? Like, are we going to chalk them up to losing every single time? Like, because I mean, it's what it's been two or three years since the last time we thought they were actually going to win. Like, like they were a favorite in, in a in a game that mattered. Again, I'm not talking about whenever they play Jacksonville State. I'm talking about when they play Notre Dame. Are they just going to be absolute? You know, are they are are they absolutely the underdog in that game? Are they absolutely an underdog in North Carolina? Are they absolutely an underdog against Miami? And are they absolutely an underdog against Florida?
1: I think the answer could be yes. They did upset North Carolina last year. Obviously, they didn't really build on that much at all, uh, hardly any. Uh, They only had the three wins last year, but they did get a win over North Carolina, who sort of can be fickle uh, if you want to frame it that way. They have the Notre Dame game at the beginning of the year, and then they get North Carolina – In Chapel Hill, several weeks later, almost a month later, they get the game against North Carolina. So, can they make improvements uh, versus Jackson State, Jacksonville State, uh, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse? Certainly, those are some those are some areas to work on things uh, in terms of you know your opponent. So, I think the answer to your question could be good or could be yes. And I think my question sort of goes along with it how far can the influx of maturity take FSU in 2021? And so I don't necessarily know if I have an answer, but obviously it's McKenzie Milton. What you're talking about is going to circle around Milton. It's going to circle around uh, uh, some of the other transfers that they've got on this football team, a lot of transfers that they have on this football team, especially uh, some there on the defensive side of the ball. They got another one uh, at, uh, at wide receiver as well. What's that maturity going to look like? What's that on-field experience? How far is that going to go for for Florida State in um, 2021?
0: Yeah, that's no, good. Projected
1: right. six and four by mm-hmm. Athlon, and projected five and four from uh, Bill Conley's S and P Plus. Mm-hmm. Louisville.
0: Louisville, your turn.
1: Is there a way? Is there a worst way to start out for Scott Satterfield over these two years? Now, sure, I think the answer to this is absolutely there is. You could have been a complete dog these last two years, but I think I'm more more specifically talking about you had a really good year one, you backtracked in year two, and then on top of that, which is the reverse way that you want to do that, of course, on top of that, you had the flirtation during the off season with other open jobs, and that that kind of spiraled out of control. That kind of got away from Scott Satterfield. So it feels like, a couple of unusual things there, or one really big unusual thing got away from you. You had a losing season in year two, that probably should have been your year one. And then you go off and look at other jobs and it sort of insults your fan base. And you kind of have to play makeup or, uh, you know, uh, kiss up with everybody there at at, at Louisville.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. My question was along the same lines of Scott Satterfield. Will Satterfield be the coach at Louisville by season's end like by January of next year.
1: I don't think probably so. I don't think they'll and, and give and up on him just yet. It, no no, it's
0: it's not about it's not about him getting fired. Oh. It's about him taking another job. Oh. Very good. cuz here cuz here's what I think is going to happen. If if we st- if we get confirmation, if these t- schools start getting confirmation that um, you know, it's going to be a 12 team playoff, is that, that that is, I think that is going to push some, a lot of schools to want to make drastic adjustments um, to put themselves in a position to just get in the top twelve. You're no longer trying to get within the four. You are now you now have an opportunity to get within the twelve, and that changes a lot of schools, like a lot of schools' perspective, as we've seen from all these numbers that we talked about last week, Spencer, of all these different coaches and schools that could have had teams in the playoff already if it was moved to this twelve-team format. And so, with that said, we know that Satterfield is a coveted coach. Will a team like Michigan go after him? You know, I'm not, I'm just throwing one out there, you know, that have been close. Will they go? Will they? Will they? You know? Will they? You know? Back up a truck of money onto him. So that's knowing, kind
1: of, knowing that he might be sort of halfway out, or yes. has been halfway out the door before.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: No, I like that. All right, uh, NC State, you're up.
0: Oh, my pages were, were stuck together. i Oh my
1: I goodness! Thought, I, thought, I thought it was serious. How did they okay. get sticky together, there, buddy. Oh my gosh! Are you twelve? You took it there. I didn't take it I didn't, there. It, I just literally figured literally stuck the way together. you, the way you reacted, there. oh my gosh, my pages are stuck together. I was sort of being goofy along with you. Oh my goodness. How did they get all stuck all together? Right. All right. Well, anyway. <laughs> oh, <boy>. um, <laughs> NC State. Oh boy.
0: This, this is really a team. about college football, huh? <laughs> this is a team that a lot of people are talking about being an under the radar threat for the ACC like I'm not making that up you've heard that as well right like things like that rumblings like that okay (laughs) my question is this is that real because I have a hard time coming to any weird obscure or nuanced um ideas just based off 2020.
1: Yeah I would say no I mean they get blasted by Virginia Tech 45-24 they get blasted by North Carolina 48 uh, 21. And they get,
0: yep.
1: Yeah. And they had a real, they had a close game with Miami, but Yankee's then they done. lose in the bowl yeah. game as well. I don't, I don't think it's real. I don't think they're anywhere close to Clemson until it actually plays out on the field. I, I'm not, I'm not buying North Carolina being real. I think they're good. I think solid. I think Dave Doran's underrated, but yes. I don't think they're, I don't think they're up there with North Carolina and, and Clemson or even I don't think they're close to approaching that.
0: Okay, I, like no, I, you know that I agree with you. I, I'm not saying NC State NC State sucks, but I think they're going to get drugged against every team, every good team they go against each other because I do not think they were even close to the talent of of the of some of these other teams. But with that said, it'd be cool if they were, you know. Um, all right, what about you yeah. for NC State?
1: Devin Leary was injured a little bit last year. He had eight mm-hmm. touchdowns and two interceptions, 110 attempts. I just would like to know what does the offense look like with a full offseason of Devin Leary, Devin Leary and sort of a, a healthy Devin Leary? Can can they get more out of their skill position players? Because it feels like they've got a lot in Imazi and uh, Bam Knight. Got two big players there, and those two guys can – Sort of a two-part question there, I guess, a compound question, if you will, those of you in literature, uh, if that's a, a thing that actually exists. So can they get more out of their skill positions and sort of what does this offense look like if Devin Leary is healthy?
0: Okay, I like, it. I like that question. Because it matters, right? I,
1: yeah, and they I mean, scored 30 points yeah. a game last year. I mean, they, they were able to have some contest where they got you know big points on the board, does that look more consistent if they can stay healthy and you know maximize uh, Imazi, maximize some of these other guys, uh, Devin Carter, and then Bam Knight. Bam Knight had 143 carries last night. I think that was good for like 12 a game. Probably need to get him closer to 18 carries a game.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. Um, okay, my question for the Syracuse Orange. For this. the Sears. I hate you so much that that has been a joke since 2009, 2010, and you have continued to you know what I I The
1: longevity I, needs to be applauded, please. You know, what? I
0: do, I do. I appreciate Dang. those really quickly. I'm a huge Syracuse basketball fan, and just despite me, you know, they're called Qs. And Spencer just consistently calls them the Sears to shorten their name, but the wrong way, just to bother me. And for some reason. It still bothers me. Um, It still bothers you. You know that it's coming. Yeah, I do. But somehow it
1: catches you off guard each time.
0: Okay, so here's my question for Syracuse. Why do you suck? Why do you suck? How do you go from a team two years in a row that either beat or came incredibly close to beating uh, Clemson in the years that they were in the title game? How do you go from that to now, where last year and last year again, it's hard to it's hard to process that? But you were one in ten last year, one in ten, and, it, and a lot of these games aren't even close. Well, How? it's hard
1: to swallow losing against Duke. Um, yeah, I mean, the rest of the games are, are. I mean, you probably should be a little more competitive they got against, against
0: Liberty. They got spanked yep. against Liberty.
1: Yep, you should be a little more competitive and. In- in those contests, for sure. And North Carolina, I mean, it did not have a super defense last year, and you only scored six on them. So, I mean, Dude, yeah. They got, I,
0: I they, agree. Got, they got shut out by Louisville. They were we didn't shut have out. a
1: great defense either.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at their, def- their defense. No, not good. Not great. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This is, yeah. Then I definitely stick to my my question. Why do we suck?
1: Uh, projected S and P plus uh, record three and a half wins. Uh, they have a likely win of one game. That's Albany, seventy-five percent win probability. Two games, only two games are relative toss ups. Rutgers and Ohio, fifty-six percent and forty percent. Everything else is a likely loss for uh, the uh, for the Orange or the Orange, excuse me. So
0: it's sort it's Syracuse Orange
1: I, no, I, I think that that got changed. I think they're just the orange now.
0: Well, I'm gonna call them the Orange Men until Jim Beheim either dies or retires. So I, I don't,
1: I don't have a problem with that. But you have to remember that there are female athletes on that bas- on that, uh, on that campus oh, there,
0: pal. That's a. All right. Well, as long as I'm talking about the, as long as I'm talking <laughs> about the male sports teams, I will call them the Orange Men. Okay. All right. <laughs>
1: I don't mean to be that guy. No, 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 no. I'm no, really no. being sarcastic no, here. No, but
0: but, it's a, it's a, but okay. the name,
1: did happen. The, 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 sadly, the name
0: it, did happen. Sadly, that's a good point. All right. <gasps> okay.
1: Wait for All us, right. mate. You start us off. Well, I didn't ask my question for Syracuse.
0: Okay. Are you going to ask the new, me? Why, or is your question, why did you change your name? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead.
1: Will the new addition to the offensive line be enough to sort of get them back into, to bring back the orange to sort of the early – that, that first year for Dino Babers. They've made a lot of additions uh, on their offensive line. Uh, Ex-Florida guard, Chris Belch. Um, they've brought in some other guys, a Texas tackle, Willie Taylor, and then a junior college prospect, Jacob Bradford, to sort of help support that unit. They gave up quite a few sacks uh, here. And, you know, obviously if you can't protect your quarterback, then he's not going to be able to do much for you. So will kind of the revamped offensive line – sort of stabilize things and help get them to the uh get them sort of back in the right direction they like danny not danny but tommy devito danny's uh younger grandson or something is uh you know they like tommy devito that was a joke by the way uh and they like some of their skill positions but you're not gonna make much work if you can't have that uh those front those front guys working their best
0: here here's just a side question really quickly is dino Babers the coach in 2022
1: if he goes with only one win again this year, and it's Albany, he doesn't beat a single, you know, uh, FBS team. I mean, yeah, he's, he might be out. If he repeats only one win, I don't see how – I don't think you could keep him. I can't. I don't think you yeah. can. Yeah, agree. I mean, the offense is – I mean, there's going to have – maybe it doesn't have to be wins. Maybe they can go with three or four wins this year, but the team needs to look better. You need to have – Close, you need to have a fight against Clemson. You need to have a fight against you know some of these other games. You don't want to get blown out too many times. Uh, yeah. I think would go a long way for for Syracuse this year.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. yeah, I agree. All right, Wake
1: Forest, similar question. Uh, can the defense rally around experience? They got eight returning starters on that side of the ball. Um, Wake Forest has usually had a really strong, uh, defense. I know that their offense has been sort of the uh, the the key to them. They scored 36 points a game last year. I thought that was a huge surprise. Uh, I did not realize that. But uh, the defense is obviously the next thing to sort of improve six and six projection for uh, Athlon. I think the only way they meet that is the defense has to come back around and uh, at least do a little better than 32 points per game, 435 yards per game.
0: Yeah. I, no, that's good. I, I okay. That, that, I, at least I'm not crazy for having having those kind of doubts coming into this year. You know. Um, okay, Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Dave Clawson. Um, when it comes to Dave Clawson, all you hear is about what potential he could be, or what he could, you know, what he could do at another program with more resources. And. I want to just push back a little bit on that, because he is in a conference that I think you would agree with me isn't the best right now, right? Would you agree with that?
1: Just kind of not the best. From a from a top standpoint, yeah, I think the middles the middles pretty strong, but yeah, from a top standpoint, a top standpoint, yes.
0: And. And so like last year nationally, and again, we, we I can only reference 20, I have to reference 2020 because it did happen, even though we know that there's addendums and asterisks put put on this that season. They ranked 19th last year in the in the country in scoring. However, they were 91st in scoring defense last year. So my my question is this: Is Dave Clausen ever going to take advantage of the conference that he's in or he is he just going to stay at this 6 and 6 you know 5 and 7 tier of a program and yes i know that i'm asking an ambiguous question for longevity but it is about this year the the, the teams that have been bad for the last few years that ha- should have given him ample opportunities to take a step to a 8 win or 9 win season you know, in Miami, Florida state, NC state, you know, these teams, or did I say Florida or Florida state, or you know what I mean? Florida state, Miami, NC state, these teams have, and, and definitely Georgia tech, these teams who have been taking, those are four teams in the conference that have taken steps back. Well, coming into this year, we're expecting them to actually take steps forward and be better this year. And that is going to continue to put Wake Forest down below them. I think, that I do believe in Dave Clawson as a coach. I do believe they've had talent at that school, but I feel like they're talked about in the same realm as Vanderbilt, you know, in the SEC, and I don't think they should. But if you look at what they've not achieved, it kind of seems like they should be talked about with Vanderbilt. Does that make sense? Like, does that, Am I making sense with my conundrum here with them?
1: I, th- I think so. I think maybe what's being missed is exactly what he's working with at Wake that that's the lack of resources is probably super significant in terms of the success that he is having kind of like Cutcliffe at Duke uh, in terms of football.
0: But he has enough. So, he's able to put night, have 19 right. 19th in scoring offense, but you can't, you can't muster just a little bit of a better defense. Just I mean, a little the answer,
1: bit. Yeah. The answer is probably no. I mean,
0: it's just I mean,
1: you, you lose to NC State by three. That's certainly yeah. a game that could have went your way, and you would have been five and uh, four last year. Uh, lose you North were just Carolina out by six. Yeah. Lose to North Carolina by six. So there's an opportunity there. The Louisville game probably got away from you. There's probably weird things that happened there. So I think a lot, all of that goes into this what you're working with at Wake Forest, and then sort of what that turns into, what you're able to have. On the field, um, you know, you don't have the resources to go out and get all the great guys. You got to go and be a good evaluator, and then you got to go and bring in those guys and uh, develop them the right way. I feel like the uphill battle at a place like Wake Forest is kind of difficult for outsiders to understand. And yeah. and you know, I'm not trying to sound and, ignorant
0: or no, of course or, not. Like I. I'd like to say that I try everything not to be ignorant, but when it comes to when it comes to situations like Wake Forest, I, I'm not I'm not arguing that he doesn't have as many resources and talent, but man, whenever these teams that are like I said have been bad lately are now about to be good again, and I just hate that because I think I think the the legacy or the way we talk about um, Dave Clawson is now going to get squelched by the fact that these good teams are back and they're going to start beating the crap out of Wake again.
1: Yeah. Maybe so. All right, all right, my man, Duke.
0: What was your question for week? Can the
1: uh, can the can the defense rally around experience?
0: Oh, my bad. Okay, yes, you're right. Um, okay, Duke.
1: <sighs> I've got a simple one, sort of like your Syracuse. Where do you start? I mean, just yeah. like where do you start for for Duke at this point? I mean, Dave Cutcliffe, I agree, has done a great job. They were two and nine. Uh, last year I just where do you start what what do yeah. you what do you circle around is it the is it the running back Durant I guess 6.8 yeah. yards per carry 800 yards um, eight touchdowns maybe that's where you start is that enough though in this day and age of college you gotta have more than that
0: yeah my, where do you start my my question was there are they <laughs> like it was correlated to Athlon's prediction they're scheduled to get they're projected to get four wins here's my question where are the four wins? I got two or three. Where's the fourth one? And to to quote one of our favorites, Barton Simmons, who's now at Vanderbilt. Unless there's a different schedule somewhere that they're playing this year, I don't see them getting four wins here. Not with, what, not with
1: what they're
0: not with what they're returning, not with what they're going up against. They're going to win Charlotte. They're going to win against North Carolina A and T. They'll they they'll probably beat Kansas. They're not beating Northwestern. They're not beating North Carolina. They're not beating Tech. They're not beating Virginia. They're not beating Wake. They're not beating Pitt. They're not beating Virginia Tech. They're not beating Louisville. And they're definitely not beating Miami. Where's the four wins?
1: So Bill Conley has them at three and a half. NCANT, 69% win probability. 66% win probability against Kansas. And then Charlotte and Northwestern. I was surprised that Northwestern was a toss-up. Weren't they just in a ch- title game last year? <laughs>
0: yeah. Now they so, did now they they, they did lose some of their dudes on defense. Um but, but either
1: yeah. way, those are your four toss ups, and if they're going to have wins, it's gonna be there. Um now could they surprise and get a win over Georgia Tech? Maybe, but I I probably not. I mean, yeah, it's a twenty two percent chance that they're yeah. beating Georgia Tech, so I probably agree with that.
0: Okay. So yeah, I
1: think yeah, I think we're both on the same page for uh, for the Dukies.
0: Yeah. All right. Speaking of
1: Georgia Tech, dude, how possible? How possible is six wins?
0: Straight up, I think I think it's very likely. I I think they could get seven. I think they could get seven wins, man. Like I know we're gonna go deeper into their schedule and stuff, um, come next month, but I believe in what Jeff Collins is building at Georgia Tech. I but I specifically believe in Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs. I think these two kids are dope. I think they are. I think they're the best tandem that Georgia Tech has had together, m- maybe since two thousand four two thousand five. Tandem of talent. That's what I mean. I, you know, their best their best overall player is hands down Calvin Johnson. But tandem of talent, and the culture that Jeff Collins has started to build. Yeah, we can make fun of them for building you know, or I'm sorry for lifting before games and stuff like that. And, you know, pressing on Waffle House. I mean, what Southerner doesn't love Waffle House if you don't, if you don't go back up to go back up to communism, you know, if you want. Um, But I, I believe in this Georgia Tech team. And I I think they're going to get somebody this year. And so, like, my question is actually, who, who are they going to get this year on their schedule? What team are they not expecting to beat that they're going to beat? Because I think they're going to get one of them. I think Miami. they're – Ooh.
1: North – they got – so according to Bill Conley, S&P yeah. Plus likely losses. Notre Dame, 26%. North Carolina, 23%. Georgia, 19%. Miami, 14 And Clemson, 8%. So uh, that's a that, – those, uh, those percentages are chances for Georgia Tech to win. Uh, I think maybe Miami could be it. And North Carolina's, I mean, they've had slip-ups. They've not been stellar these last two years in terms of beating uh, everybody handily. They've had some shootouts. So uh, either one of those, are there's a potential, I think. And then there's there's a lot of people who think Notre Dame's going to take a big slide back this year. So, hell, get, uh-huh. give them ten wins, Robbie. <laughs> give uh, no, them ten wins. Uh,
0: like, I'm, 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 <laughs> like, I, I do believe there's a world in which they have seven or eight wins, though. Like, like, again, I'm not, I can't, we can't solely base it off last year, but if Jameer Gibbs and Jeff Sims were able to show flashes and, and I watched all their games last year, you know, because I just do like, they were able, there were moments where they were truly doing some great stuff together. And that's without an off season. That's without workouts. That's without all this stuff. I just believe that they're going to be able to, to, to be a threat this year, again, not to win the ACC, but they're going to get somebody. They're going to be like an old Miss of last year. That's what I think, like, and I'm not saying putting up a gazillion points on Bama, but I'm saying like a, an old Miss team that you don't want to play because they can possibly beat you. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, them being sort of, yeah, the team that you don't want to play. Yeah, I, I could see that. All right, uh, moving on, the Hurricanes down in South Florida.
0: mm. What
1: do you okay. like for Miami here? Uh, How healthy? What is this?
0: Simple question. How healthy is Derek King? Yeah, their entire season yeah. rests rests on him. Like I, and, I hate to say that, I I know that that's a lot of pressure to put on one player, but I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it. Miami is offensively, at least, is not hmm, is not a universal threat to the people to the teams around them without him. They're just he's just not. I mean, they're just
1: not. Will the wide receivers catch the passes this year <laughs> that they dropped last year?
0: And I don't mean that as a joke. I, no, I know, but it's just it, funny because. Go ahead and give the number. Do you have it? Yeah. I, well, I don't. Oh, um, they were they were third in the nation in drop passes last year for touchdowns. Yeah, that's that's
1: not going to get it done. You, um, you get into situations like that, and it's. I mean, Derek King had what 23 touchdown passes last year, so he could have been easily over the 30 mark 30. easily yeah. could have
0: had 30 last year.
1: Yeah, and so what does that do for wins? I mean, if you're talking about seven more touchdowns, you got to imagine that's affecting a win somewhere and they were 8 and 3 last year. They lose 42-17 to Clemson. They lose 62-26 to North Carolina. You would think perhaps the game against Clemson's a little closer if there's three touchdown passes for uh King, or maybe four touchdown passes for King, and then maybe you don't get as embarrassed against North Carolina, and maybe you beat uh Oklahoma State, maybe there's your ninth win on the year, so yeah, seven more touchdowns could have gone a long way for the um for miami uh last year, and it's kind of impressive to you know a stat like dropped passes doesn't sound like much, but you're talking about first downs. You and, and I love that set, though. Yeah, you and I. Uh, you you just mentioned uh, actual touchdowns themselves, but then there's first downs. Uh, that's keeping other drives alive. That could turn into you know any other kind of score. So, yeah, um, drop passes can go a long way to to. The to perfect hurt example.
0: You. The perfect example of of how drop passes can make you view someone you know differently than you probably should is you go look at oh my gosh. Um, how did I have a great thought and then I forget the kid's name? The kid from Oregon last, or the year before last, who's down in the NFL for the Chargers, um, Herbert, Herbert, Justin Herbert, number one in the nation for drop passes. Um, his receivers were number one in the country for drop passes two years ago when he was a, you know, when he was at Oregon. Everyone thought, oh, this kid's not really that good. Then he goes to the Chargers, where receivers actually catch the dang ball. And he almost went. He either almost wins offensive player, uh, offensive rookie of the year, like he he was balling out last year. And so it just goes to show that you know we we give so much credit to you know to quarterbacks, rightfully so, but quarterbacks can also be given just horrible, um, a horrible like lens put on them because the receivers don't catch the dang ball.
1: All right, we're ready to move on. North Carolina, sure. Is the mm. defense ready to pull their weight?
0: No, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I
1: feel ahead. like a lot of people like their defensive line.
0: Yeah, because the rest cause of the because the assumption is that they were too small because they didn't get to have the off-season workouts and stuff like that. And you know, now they'll be able to be bigger. Excuse me, and stronger. For me, I'm not ready to buy into that narrative yet because I still didn't. I didn't see talent last year on the D line. So, but go ahead.
1: No, I, I just I feel like I've heard the defensive line should be better, that that's going to go a long way, and maybe it does. But you're losing to Virginia 44-41. You're giving up 50, uh, 45 points to Virginia Tech. You're giving up 53 points to Wake Forest. I mean, at some point, you've got to settle in. You had a couple of nice defensive perform- um, defensive performance. But then, when you look at the opponents that that was a get, you are kind of like, yeah, that's that's nothing special. Syracuse and Western Carolina. That's you know, there is not a whole lot to to buy in there. So, will the defense start pulling their weight? Because that's the only thing that this group is lacking right now, and they still got ten wins, even with the defense that was so so.
0: Yeah, I, mine also is is the defense. Um, basically, the the general question of. Will the defense at North Carolina Carolina keep Sam Howell from hoisting an ACC championship trophy? I mean, because that's the only reason why they won't is because of the defense.
1: Yeah, and they do they have Clemson in the regular season? No, they do not. But they go to Notre Dame. Yeah,
0: and I cannot wait for that game. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Oh.
1: All right, with the Pittsburgh Panthers, who do you think fans are more excited for on offense, Vincent Davis or Jordan Addison? And I ask this question because I don't I, – I sort of feel with them the same way I kind of feel with Duke and how you feel with um, Syracuse and how uh, I sort of feel with Virginia Tech. I, I'm not quite sure what it is to get excited about. Uh, in terms of an offensive era in football, what do you get excited for at Pittsburgh? So so what are their fans more excited for, Vincent Davis or Jordan Addison? Wide receiver uh, Addison, running yeah, back yeah, yeah. Uh, Davidson, Davis.
0: I mean, that's a good question, man. My, my question was also offensively. Can Kenny Pickett stop being a coin flip quarterback? That's a good Can't. term. And that—that's. Thank you. Um, I, I designed. it you, will, you know, you're welcome. Um, sometimes I. on the back there. Sometimes I say good things. Um, sometimes. Because this kid threw thirteen touchdowns last year, but he also threw nine interceptions. There were moments last year where you would see him in games, like, tr- like truly play really well, and you're like, oh my gosh, like that's a really good throw. No one will take away the toughness that this kid had, right? Like, he was incredibly tough last year, especially in that Notre Dame and that Miami game. I remember just get him getting the crap kicked out of him at times. He continued to take a beating, continued to keep playing. But he just makes some dumb throws and some dumb choices. And so can he quit being a coin flip quarterback?
1: He's been around long enough. This is, I mean, he's a fifth-year senior. So yeah, um, he's been around long enough that you would expect. And this kind of goes back to that conversation about, well, Okay, just because you have experience doesn't mean that you're going to get better. I mean, if you've just had bad experiences, you if you've been learning bad habits and you've been kind of getting away with doing bad stuff and it's never come back to get you, then you know, are you really growing and improving and getting better? And that's almost why I went with the with the two skill players. Who are you more excited about? Because I don't know, I don't know if you're excited about Pickett. And even if you are excited about these other guys, is Pickett going to get them the ball? Yeah. Is he no, going to do enough in the passing game to keep people off of Vincent Davis, which which they were uh, on top of him most of the season because he uh, you know he he exploded at the end of the year uh, versus you know being consistent all year long. I mean, I think he averaged three point three yards per carry most of the year outside of the final performance of two hundred and forty seven yards against I think it was Tech. Yeah. Ouch. All right, yeah. Pitt is off the board. Virginia.
0: Who went for it? Uh, it's my turn. Okay. Yeah, um, turn. For for Virginia, what are they offensively? Like, what are they? You know, two years ago, we've got um, uh, Bryce uh, – crap, I can't remember his name. Bryce uh, – Perkins. Bryce, yeah, we had Bryce Perkins, who was just a dude who just like was a wizard – At times for them in these in these games against teams where they were definitely outmatched, you know, athletically. And he, you know, even in that Florida game uh, bowl game, like I I still argue would argue that, you know, he did a lot better than the scoreboard showed in that game. But since then, and again, this is last year, I just did not see that I did not feel they had any sort of offensive identity. Brennan Armstrong only threw for 2000 yards, 18 18 touchdowns 11 interceptions and they only had one 500-yard rusher. Yes, you know, and and then they had another one that was almost 400 and yes, they averaged, you know, 4.4 4.5 4. yards per carry but they only they only scored five touchdowns a piece between them and I just and they only they they went 4 and 5. And their offensive efficient their offensive efficiency was 51 in the country. Offensive field position was only forty ninth. Like they were just not great offensively. You know they were about forty seventh in the nation, which you know isn't god awful. But I just I, I want to know what they are. Are you going to be a balanced team when it comes to run, running and throwing? Are you going to be run heavy? Are you going to be throwing heavy? What are you going to be
1: this year? Yeah, and I think that determines on who their their personnel is. You know, uh, I was reading something earlier that said you know. Virginia's not afraid to get weird um and I think the uh I think Bronco Mendenhall is willing to mix it up and sort of work with whatever it is that he has and I think that's that's encouraging but at the same time it's kind of like well I'd like you to know what you have i kind of I'd kind of like us to be stable with what we're bringing in um you're going and getting specific guys to do specific things and we're going to be, you know we'll, we'll adjust to strengths and weaknesses but We're not just going to be completely different one year from what we are the next year because we're going to recruit sort of in a consistent way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Can the defense be better against the explosive play for the Cavaliers? Mm. 3.7 plays per game of 30-plus yards allowed by this defense last year. That's That's just absurd. 29 yeah. receptions of 30 yards or more last season uh, for them as well uh just just absurd to, to yeah. allow that kind of production so yeah you can't do that especially you know with, when they were good with Bryce Perkins and they were in that uh, bowl game with Florida you know I mean the defense that was a, a year where the defense was really good maybe they weren't the best in the country, but they were better than you know 96th and 66th. Like they were yeah. this past season in scoring and total total defense.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good. That's I didn't know that stat. That's a good one. Um, Thank you. Virginia Tech, buddy, last team in the ACC. Can Brewmeister,
1: Broommeister save Fuente? I I just I don't. I'm kind of like more so here, like I was with Pittsburgh. What what is what is this? What, who is, what is Virginia, Uh, Virginia Tech? I'm sorry. Like, what are you excited about at Virginia Tech? They're projected to go eight and four. I guess I just don't get it. I don't know Mm -hmm. what's being built there. Uh, I feel like Justin Fuente has stubbed his toe left, right, and center at best, stubbing his toe. That's me being nice about it, I feel. Yeah. What is, I'm more than welcome to be proven wrong. I just don't, I just don't
0: get it. I'm not seeing it. Well, before I get to my question, I I don't, just talking about Fuente for a second. I don't know what's going to save him. You know, you you the stuff you read, the stuff you hear. If it wasn't for COVID, we, a lot of people think COVID actually saved his job last year because they didn't want to they didn't want to make a change. You know, during during a, pand- a global pandemic. Um, you know, hinden Hooker leaves. A lot of people thought Henan Hooker was going to be the guy that. You know, there were moments where he was really good last year. You know, um, but now he's left and he's gone to Tennessee. Who knows? Um, who, who knows what that's gonna you know what that's gonna turn into? You know, um, Khalil uh, Herbert and their left tackle Darish is are gone to the NFL. There's not a lot, you know, preseason wise to get excited for. And so my question is this, and it's very another very general question. Can the Hokies bring excitement to their program again this year? Mm. Can they bring excitement back to their program? Because the first couple of years with Fuente at Virginia Tech, I was very excited about this team, you know? But over the last three years, you had two seasons ago, you had the whole, oh, my gosh, everyone's leaving. We've got kids, you know, players getting kicked off teams in the middle of the season. You've got all this, you know, almost chaos going on amongst the program. You didn't really know what was kind of going on, honestly. And now, now we're in a state where they could have, they didn't, they didn't fire him. They didn't press the reset button, even though everyone thought they would. But now you're, you're so you you held on to him. Can you move on? Can you bring excitement back to the program? Because freaking Athlon had you projected to go eight and four. Eight and four is a great year after going five and five last year. So, so that's where I'm at.
1: And maybe Broommeister is the guy to do it. Broommeister
0: yeah. that's a good uh,
1: question. Is, is the guy to do it? All right, uh, Notre Dame. We wanted to stick Notre Dame in in this episode as they're still an independent, but they play sort of a half ACC schedule. So, uh, what do you got cooked up for the Irish?
0: Yeah. Um, what's your question for for, for the Irish?
1: If Notre Dame outperforms their S&P Plus of seven and five projection, who will be more responsible, Jack Cohen, or the new offensive line?
0: Okay, Jack Cohen. By the way,
1: what did I say, Cohen?
0: Yeah, you say Cohen. A lot of a lot of people say Cohen, but it's Cohn. I don't know why. Like, but it's just one of those weird spells spellings. C O A N. Yeah. Um. My question is, because okay, so I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm actually bullish on Notre Dame this year because I think I think Ian Book, while at moments were really good for Notre Dame, were probably ultimately the reason why they couldn't get over a hump in certain big games. Like limited, his Beth, yes, very limited. You know, um, I, I hate to say it this way because I don't want to minimalize what Fromm did at Georgia. But I mean, he's essentially Jack, Jake Fromm, just a little more athletic and a little less accurate, right? But like the same kind of the same kind of player can get you there, can play well enough at times when you need him. But he's not going to take over a game. And you know, the best thing I game...
1: would probably take Jake over Ian.
0: Yes. And yes. I, I, close. Yes. I don't mean to sound like a Georgia no, guy no, there, no, but no, I, no, 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 no. Because, no, I would agree. My only push, my only pushback would be, I don't know. It, you go back to the Notre dame Clemson game from last year. I don't think, I don't think Jake Fromm is able to win that game and play, make the plays that Ian Book made last year in that game. That specific game. Okay, that one. The rest of it, no. Like, I would take Jake Fromm all day and twice on Sunday. So, I agree with you. But my question is, by what game is Tyler Buckner starting at quarterback? Not because of B- Cone playing poor, but because Buckner is going to be the kid to get them over the hump. Because he is the best recruited quarterback they, that Notre Dame has had under Brian Kelly.
1: Yeah, and I like you asking this question because I looked at it today and I have to keep myself from calling Jake Cohn. Ian Book just 2.0. Right. And less athletic, to, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Because you go back and you look at last year for Ian Book and you look at the last year for Jack Cone at uh Wisconsin, and they're virtually the same season. You put those two uh total numbers against one another and it's basically the same year. Now, Cone doesn't have thirty-four touchdowns in one year under his belt like uh Ian Book does in the in 2019, but nonetheless if if they're basically the same guy and one's less athletic and the other one used a lot of his athleticism to make things work, I feel like if the passing game from Notre Dame is going to take another step, it's going to be beyond Cone. I think it, yes. either it's another quarterback or some of these wide receivers that have been talked about a little bit uh, emerge as maybe the superstars or maybe even going beyond some of the hype that uh, that they've been garnered uh, by by Bud Elliotts and and others.
0: Yeah, like I'm 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 of the belief that Jack Jack Cohn is the perfect transition quarterback for Notre Dame. But the transition only lasts for so long this season before Buckner gets his footing and takes over.
1: Does he ever take over? Does anybody ever push Cone out of the spot? Because it's Florida State, Toledo, Purdue. Wisconsin, maybe Cincinnati, maybe Virginia Tech, USC, North Carolina, maybe Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Stanford. Like oh, who pushes it? I guess Wisconsin, North Carolina, USC.
0: If somewhere it's not, in there, right? Yeah. If it's not, if it's not Florida State.
1: Okay. You think Florida State's going to do it in week one?
0: Well, you think because, they're ready for that. Because if you in week one. Because I'm just thinking about what I, you know, listening to that podcast uh, with with Bud Elliott where they. You know they basically Harker previewed FSU. FSU's pass rush is about to be significantly better. You know, hey, Go Dogs, Jermaine Johnson, you know, senior starting, you know, starting outside linebacker for them, who's going to be, you know, coming off the edge constantly. That's what I could see happening. It with, you know, with them not returning really anyone but their left tackle on the offensive line. Can FSU, you know, their new their new pass rush? Can they? Can these guys? Um, can these guys put pressure on Cone to make him move? Because, as we know, he's not the most athletic, you know. And so, I'm just saying, if it's not FSU, it's it's not going to be again until Wisconsin. That's I what agree I would say. With that.
1: All right, very good. I think we're uh, we're all done with the ACC. Oh, Our, thank uh, God, one, this is
0: the only one that has 14 teams. <laughs> right. Uh,
1: well, no, the SEC's got 14 teams. Uh,
0: well, but yeah, but there's there's Vandy and Vandy in Missouri. I mean, we
1: had we had uh, we had we had a uh, Duke and Syracuse here. So that's a fair point. Uh, fair point. All right. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we appreciate all that great feedback. It obviously helps us out. Uh, if you can give us that like, I was looking at something. I believe uh, Apple Podcast is where most people are listening to us. So. Uh, hit a five-star review there. Maybe even leave a comment, uh, question if you want, and we'll uh, we'll answer that bad boy for you as uh, as as we move forward. So, um, again, like, rate, review, and subscribe to friends. One love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip flop later.